Hello and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Jason Armstrong looks at Mark 10, 17-31. Those who live their life depending on their own wealth and power have difficulty finding God, but those who place their trust in God will have treasure stored up in heaven. Let's hear today's message. I'm with Ava Lonsborough. Uh, she's daughter to uh, Jeff and Catherine Lonsborough. Ava, how old are you? Five. Five. I hear your birthday's coming up soon. Is that right? Mm. So you're almost six, yeah. right? And what is, uh, what what are some of your favorite things to do? Mm, play with my sister. Play with your sister. What's her name? Isla. Isla. All right. All right. So here's the last line. This is the most important one. I want you to think about. The young man was sad when Jesus said these things uh, because he was very rich. Why do you think he was sad? Because... You don't know. That's a tough one, isn't it? What do you think he probably loved? His family. His family? Think so? Maybe, maybe. But if he was sad because he had to give away this money, do you think he might love something else? He loves money. Uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. Why do you think that? Why Why do you say that? Because he likes money and he doesn't want to get it away. I think we can say amen to that, right? <clears throat> Got me? Yeah. So, what a wonderful answer. I, I think, is Ava still up in the balcony? Thank you, Ava, for your wisdom. We appreciate it. So I have a huge job for you all this morning. I have complete faith and trust. John, you're one of the smartest guys I know, right? But these people are way smarter than you. So uh, we have to get an answer here because the first service bombed. So you have to prove to me that you're, you're better than the first service or smarter. So the, the question I have, let me make sure I get it right here. So the United States government passed a mandate to put in God we trust on all of our money, all of our currency. What year was that mandate passed? John's thinking hard, I can see his eyes. Anyone? Just somebody guess. 1876 is wrong, Carlin. (laughs) No one else? Ah, so the answer, I thought some of you would get it. The answer is 1955. 1955. That was on July 11th, 1955. And, And God We Trust started appearing on our currency in 1957, officially. So we have a picture here. We've all seen this phrase on our money, in God we trust. <clears throat> and like you, you've, like me, you've probably seen it so many times that at this point, you don't even really see it anymore. You know it's there, but you just don't really see it. But as I was looking at this image this week and considering this text, I thought, these two things don't really go together almost often. 
Because the scripture tells us Jesus talks about money quite a bit, and he often says the money is, is it money the root of all evil? Is, is that one of them? Yeah, yeah. Love money. You can't love money and love God. But we have it in God we trust in our money, so that's, money is a big stumbling block to who, what do we trust, money or God? So there it is, right, in our, right on our money. I'm trying to rectify that in my head. It's kind of difficult when you think about it. Because money isn't inherently evil. You know, if you're blessed with wealth, you're blessed with possessions, you can use those to glorify God, and it's a wonderful thing, right? We need, we need money to be able to feed the poor and serve our community. So wealth isn't necessarily bad. Where we get into trouble is when we put our trust in money more than we put our trust in God. And we see this illustrated this, this week. Story of the rich man and Jesus. He's obviously illustrating that barrier where he's put his trust in his wealth and not in the kingdom of God. So as we consider this passage today and go through to the end, I think we should continually be asking ourselves that same question. Where do we put our trust? Is it in our wealth? Or is it in God and God's kingdom? In our text today, a rich man runs up to Jesus. We read right away. and falls on his knees, this action of kneeling, this reverence to Jesus. I thought... Uh, just happened to think about this a day or two ago, this idea, I've skimmed over it a million times, but he ran to Jesus. I think that's an important piece to consider because that, in that culture, in that day, men did not run. Right? A man would have to hike up his, his uh, cloak and you'd be able to see his bare legs and that was a cultural no-no back then. So he was willing to, to bypass that cultural norm, that problem, and he ran to Jesus kneel down before him. And he kneels down to Jesus' authority, and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? What, how can I act? What can I cause to happen? What can I manufacture? What can I construct that I can gain this inheritance, that I can take possession of eternal life? I can be part of this God's kingdom. Eternal life, life never ending. What do I have to do? <clears throat> Looking at that question this morning, give a piece of advice. Maybe some of you have been in that same position where you ask Jesus a question like that. I'm going to warn you, Jesus doesn't usually give you the answer that you want to hear. Jesus usually responds back with a challenge. Jesus usually responds back by putting you up in a position you wouldn't normally put yourself in to cause you to grow. Maybe to even consider some unpleasant or uncomfortable truths that you need to address in your faith. And remember this as we continue to weekly talk about the thesis statement of, in Mark of Mark 1.15. This, this statement that time, the time was fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the rich man gets a reaction he's not expecting. Right? He, he wants a list of what he can do. What can I do with my power so that I can legally possess eternal life? He's a rich man. He's a wealthy man. In that context, it usually means he's a, a landowner. He's got a good amount of land. He's probably got a good amount of folks working for him. This guy, he knows how to get things done. 
He knows how to get people to do what he wants them to do. He knows how to get what he wants. But just, Jesus doesn't just give him a simple list that you can check off. He doesn't give him the answer he wants to hear. Instead, he answers his question with a question. Why do you call me God? Only God is good. We see this reflected in, real briefly in Psalm 100, verse 5, this quality of God. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and is faithful to all generations. In Psalm 136, verse 1 as well. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. God is good. So you come up to me calling me good. What are you telling me about, what are you saying about me? That you're expecting me to give you the answer of God? Are you simply flattering me, hoping I'll give you an answer you like? But indeed, God is good, and Jesus knows in God's goodness he gave the people the law, the Ten Commandments, this guide to show us what it looks like to love God completely and love our neighbor as well. And since this man comes up with this transactional and lawful attitude, he, I think he goes, well, then let's, how about I make a point to this man with the law? So you may know the Ten Commandments are found in Exodus 20. The first four are about relationship, our relationship with God. In brief, they're, you shall have no gods before me. Don't make things any other images to worship. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day. Relationship with God. In our text today, we find Jesus lists the commandments 5 through 10. These commandments that have to do with the relationship with people, with our neighbors. This is Exodus 20, 12 through 17. Here's a simplified list of that. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. I'll look at those for just a moment and remember those. Because we're going to use those as we then go back to our text today. Mark 10, 19. Jesus states this to the rich man. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. While Jesus rearranges the order just slightly in that list, there is one commandment that Jesus modifies. What word does Jesus modify? Defraud. You actually did prove that you're uh, more, <laughs> I should say better, that's horrible, that you're smarter than the, the first service. They didn't get that, or at least they didn't say it, so thank you for that. So the question is, why does he change it? Why does he change to covet, to defraud? Did Jesus not know the Ten Commandments? That seems highly unlikely, right? But he changed it, I believe, because he wanted to make a point to this man exposing something about him that he needed to face. Because defraud means to cheat, 
to take away what rightly belongs to someone else. If we remember, this is a rich man who has property and, and people working for him, people that he pays. Maybe he's got vendors. I think Jesus is saying, you need to consider. Have you defrauded folks? Have you cheated people in your care? And this may be a direct reference to Deuteronomy 24, 14, and 15. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Well, the rich man hears that. And now he responds with teacher. He doesn't say good teacher like he does in verse 17. I wonder if he's thinking this, is, this encounter isn't really going the way that I planned. Right? Things are going sideways a little bit. So maybe he's not a good teacher anymore. Maybe he's just teacher. And he responds with, I'm just going to call it a lie. He responds with, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Right? Keeping something, guarding it, take care not to violate, to observe it. Well, we know we're human, the rich man's human. We know we can't do that perfectly, so he's lying. He's not able to do that. So how does Jesus respond to his fabrication? How does he respond to his false statement? He doesn't respond with accusation and condemnation. Instead, we see in Mark 10, 21, the first part, Jesus looked at him and loved him. This idea of looking at him, to see him clearly, to be concentrated on him, with special interest and love, Jesus loves this man fully and completely, just like he loves all of us and wants the best for us. And he knows for this man to get what he's thinking he, he desires, this, to be in the kingdom of heaven and eternal life. There's something about him that needs to be addressed, to be exposed. And Jesus tells him that there's one thing lacking. There's one thing lacking. Mark 21 and 10, 21, the second part of the verse. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. This is a man who's wealthy, who's rich, and he's telling them, you'll have treasure in heaven. Treasure that's more than anything you could ever have here on earth. Jesus cuts to the core of the matter, I believe. What comes down to with this rich man is the issue of trust. And what do you trust? And we can ask the same questions of ourselves. What do you put your confidence? Where do you place your safety? Where do you trust? Where do you put your security? Is it your trust? Is your trust placed in your wealth? Is it placed in that dollar bill? Or is, it placed, is your trust placed indeed in the kingdom of God? The man said, the rich man said, he wanted to inherit eternal life. And you can have that most valuable treasure. You can have it. Simply put trust in God rather than wealth. And then he tells them, then come back and follow me. Live a life full 
with the disciples, with me, follow me. Place your trust in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew this man's heart. He knew where he had placed his trust, and because he loved him so much, he challenged him, gave him this opportunity to make things, to give him what he was looking for, where he placed his trust. But the scripture tells us when Jesus reveals that to him and tells him that his face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This idea of wealth is possessions and property and land and estates. The rich man thought he wanted to inherit an eternal, the eternal life. He, he thought he wanted to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus gives that opportunity. And this man with great wealth, who then could have accessed the treasures of heaven, thought the cost was too high. And Jesus repeats this idea of it's hard for the rich, it's hard for those who put trusted money to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verses 23 and 25, he illustrates that. He gives these dire warnings to his disciples, and the text reads that the disciples heard Jesus, and they were amazed. They were astonished by what he was saying. But it's important to look at though that word, and that word amazed also has a piece of panic in it. They were also panicking. And I think it's because they were in this cultural state where they believe that, well, if somebody's blessed, if they're wealthy, then certainly God cares for them. God is showing them favor. So if God's showing this wealthy man favor, and he says it's hard for them to get into the kingdom of heaven, basically says it's impossible. If they don't put their trust in the right place, then, then what hope do we have? And, but once again, Jesus sees them. He looks at them, sees them clearly, just like he did with the rich man. And Jesus responds by making it clear that entering the kingdom of God is not based on how much you've earned, how much you can pay, or how many rules you can follow. And if we go back to verse 24, like Clint mentioned, this word children, I think, gives us a real uh, example to hold on to, real testimony. When Jesus is speaking to disciples, he refers to them, he calls them children in verse 24. And this, this I think we should reference back to Mark 10, 15, because this will give us some uh, real insight into what he means by children. So just the passage right before we read today. Mark 10, 15 is where the disciples try to stop the children from coming to Jesus. And then Jesus responds. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That last part is our piece for today. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. A little child we just saw on the screen. You know, Clint, you made a great observation earlier that when got, uh, Clint asked her what she loved, her first, or what the man loved, the first response was he loved his family. He loved his family. He loved, she loved. That's who she loves. 
That's how children love. They, they trust in those who provide for them, who love them unconditionally. She knows that. Eva knew that. And that's how we're to love and to put trust in, in the kingdom of God. It's just like a child. And this highlights the difference between how the rich man interacts with Jesus compared with the children. The rich man wants to know what he can do. He's got means, he's got power. What do I have to do to make this legally mine, to inherit it? The children simply trust and receive love, care, provision. So it says in the text, the kingdom of God, like a child, with, with man this is impossible. Right? With man this is impossible. You can't do enough to enter the kingdom of God. But all things are possible with God. All things are possible when we have trust and we have faith in the kingdom. And after hearing his words, Peter speaks up as he normally does. We have left everything to follow you, Peter says after hearing this. And he's true. Peter and other disciples have indeed done so. We see in Mark 1 that Jesus calls four fishermen, Simon and Andrew, James and John. He says, come follow me while they're fishing with their, their families and their fathers. And they leave everything and follow Jesus. And Jesus acknowledges this. Right? You indeed have left your homes and your, your families and your fields. Maybe you've even been rejected by family because you follow me now instead of the world. We continue to follow that good news of Christ. They may have been rejected. But because you've trusted in me, you will receive blessing in relationship. Right? Ava talked about family. You're going you're to have more family you can, you can count if you follow me. You're going to have brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. You're going to be sharing things together. You're going to be sharing homes together. Your resources. That reminds me, nothing was more apparent than this idea that when you follow, you trust in God's kingdom, you'll have brothers and sisters, countless, is when we have services like the Ash Wednesday service last Wednesday, where we sang together as a church family in the, in the chapel, worshiping together. The children were with Clint, and he was proclaiming the word to them. But in those special moments, when people come forward and we're doing the imposition of ashes, Clint and I both would share this, I think, that when people come forward and it's brother and sister and brother and sister coming towards us, it's powerful, meaningful. I have one brother, what is that called, a blood brother? But I have many, 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 many more brothers and sisters. And of course, in, in this Jesus' kind of final statements, he's also put, there's a warning there. Previewing going to the cross, previewing persecution would come. He tells us in other parts of scripture that if they're going to persecute me, they're going to persecute you also. But they'll do that in the presence of family. You can get through it together. So this trust that we have to put in the kingdom of God Right, it'll result in, it would have resulted in the very thing the rich man was looking for, eternal life. Because we have to put the trust in God first. 
even though we have wealth, put trust in God. As we remember this idea of Jesus talks about the, the last will be first and the first will be last. Those who on earth may have seemed to be blessed materially but don't trust God, they, they may be last. Those who trust God will be first. We think about the perfect example of that, of course, of our Lord Jesus Christ. One who was first, but became last, going to the cross, taking, taking all the sin and wrath at the cross, leading to resurrection and ascension, and now sitting at the right hand of the Father. But we find ourselves in the first Sunday of Lent, this period of 40 days, can I think that mentioned that earlier, leading up to Easter. Normally, during that time, we are intentional about adding practices to our life that will bring us closer to God in relation to the kingdom of God and putting more trust in God. We also talk about removing items from our life that have been a hindrance to that relationship. I think as we can continue to go through Lent for another 37 or so days, money is particularly, wealth is particularly a stumbling block. And as a church, just to continue to think, think about that, that bill in God we trust. And where you're placing your, your trust. Is it in the God and in the kingdom? Or is it in wealth? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this, this day and this word that you've given to us. Pray that the Holy Spirit continually, continually acts on us, not in this day, but in all days, so we can be molded and, and changed, transformed to be more like Christ. Lord, we pray as we do go through Lent that as a church and as individuals, we consider, continue to consider where we put our trust. We pray that you inspire us and give us the perseverance to, to put our trust in God, in Christ, in the kingdom, rather than in wealth on earth. Lord, we pray all these things in your powerful name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.